Welcome to the Data for Betterment podcast, Reimagine Hybrid Work, with your host, Maribel Lopez. Maribel is the founder of the Data for Betterment Foundation and Lopez Research. The Data for Betterment Foundation is a nonprofit organization that helps individuals understand and prepare for how their career will change as companies embrace new technologies. Lopez Research, a market research and strategy consulting firm, helps companies understand how technologies such as connected devices, collaboration, cloud computing, and AI change the customer and employee experience. The firm's clients range from startups to global corporations, including 10 of the Fortune 30. She's also the author of the highly regarded business book on how those technologies are transforming the company, employee, and customer experience, Right Time Experiences, published by Wiley. She's also a frequent public speaker at corporate events and contributor at Forbes.com. Maribel is currently researching and writing her next book on how to build successful strategies for workplace transformation. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, welcome back to the podcast. And I'm very excited today to be here with Lisa Amini. Lisa is the lab director of IBM Research Cambridge and also AI automation and scaling research worldwide. She has a wide purview and is an amazing female leader in technology, amazing leader in technology in general. She's been working on a lot of different projects. I've had the pleasure of talking to Lisa several times now. At one point, we were talking about AI security, explainability in AI, and today she's working on delivering something new and different to push AI forward. And the team is always working on great technologies to push the AI mission forward. So thank you for being here today, Lisa. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Maribel. I'm delighted to talk to you today about our latest work in AI automation, which is how we actually scale the previous topics that I talked to you about in you know, model robustness, security, and explainability. AI automation is about leveraging AI techniques to automate how AI is built. So just think about the expertise levels required to do data science and machine learning, right? math, statistics, programming, domain knowledge. It's a lot. And it's quickly changing, right? So if you just look at the topics in any AI conference from one year to the next, it goes from convolutional networks to like recurrent nets and meta-learning, transfer learning, reinforcement learning, bandits. It's really a fast-moving field. So think about how difficult it is for someone, a data scientist or a machine learning engineer, to just look at a data set and decide, okay, well, which features should I use? Which models should I use? How should I parameterize it? You know, how should I mitigate bias? So many different difficult challenges. So our idea here is bring AI and automation to that process itself of building itself. You mentioned this concept of scaling. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah. So one of the first areas that that we're bringing uh, automation to help is centered on on model building, optimization and validation, right? So this is referred to as auto ML or auto machine learning. The automation here searches the space of uh, features, transforms, models, hyperparameters to try to identify the top performing models specifically for a given data set. And this is being done for both classical ML models like SVM, regression, XGBoost, and for deep neural networks. For deep learning, it's referred to as neural architecture search or, or NAS, right? So the first part of scaling it is 
like I said, you know, that, that ability to search across, you know, just that combinatorial explosion of all the different models, parameters, features, and so on. It's a very difficult and large scale problem, right? So for humans, depending on what they're going after, it can take anywhere from days, weeks, you know, to months. It's not uncommon for one of these projects to last six, nine months. With auto AI, you bring the data set in, the system is not only is it going to automate the process of searching the space, but it's going to accelerate. It has techniques for trying to understand which ones are the most promising routes and you know, prune off the, the unproductive ones and, and pursue the, the productive ones. So you know, that, that changes this problem from days, weeks, months into hours, you know, sometimes minutes, but it can take the system a while. It can be even hours to do that. But if you think about just the, you know, the scale of what it's searching, it's huge in terms of how it enables these data scientists and machine learning engineers to just be so much more productive. I think one of the great things that we've been working on over the course of time is this concept of how do we make people more productive? How do we make it more seamless for people? How do we make it easier for perhaps not the most detailed of data scientists to, you know, more citizen style data scientists to also come into the mix? But there's a lot of confusion around some of the terms. So I've heard things like uh, AI ops, uh, ML ops. Can you give me a little framework of where this fits in vis-a-vis some of the other terms that people might be throwing around right now? Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's definitely true. So let's go through a couple of the terms that, that you use, right? So the first one is AI ops. AI ops is basically bringing AI to IT operations, right? So if you think of IT operations, you've got... Uh, two very large uh, kind of sets of types of, of data. You've got all of the data that's being generated from the uh, the systems, right? The, the computers, you know, as they're running, the applications that they're running on and, and so on. So the logs uh, is one way to think about it. Logs, events, alerts, all of these sorts of things. Then in addition to that, you've got data that is basically service tickets, people calling in outages or the system detecting outages and so on. So AI ops is about bringing AI to be able to analyze those data to try to better automate some of that operation by being able to analyze the data, do forecasting of the directions of things, how they're going, what might be remediations that have worked in the past and so on. So that's AI ops. Okay. Now it is true that for any of those data sets, the techniques that I was describing for AI automation, we could automate some of that, but AI ops itself is to automate the IT operations. There's also model ops, right? So model ops is about how do you help to bring automation to deploying and managing your models, right? So there's certain information that you would want to track in terms of what was the data that went into them. You know, as they're being deployed, you might want to track and understand, you know, failures, how they're being remediated and so on. So that's that's model ops. And there again, that's part, that is part of what we would consider as AI operations. It's a part of it. It's, you know, that part of deployment and operations, but it doesn't necessarily include the auto ML, which is the model building. It doesn't necessarily include the data automation in terms of algorithms for bringing quality AI readiness to the data. So what we're advocating for is that, you know, we need to to tackle this problem more holistically, right? We have to think about that entire life cycle from data to model building to operations and how do we bring you know, automation to that so we lessen the burden on the, the humans, uh, make it more scalable, accelerate their ability to respond, and then we can use it in applications such as AI ops or you know, applying AI to IT operations. 
Perfect. That's great. So if we're looking at auto ML, you were talking about things like the feature creation, the modeling, the model train and test portion of that life cycle, correct? Correct. Yes. Now, when we're looking at that, it strikes me that automating that part of the process is uh, quite challenging. But can you give me some examples of how it's being used? You know, if I were an enterprise and my data scientists were looking at this, what are some of the types of things that would change as a result of having this? Yeah, so I think that, uh, you know, uh, we're seeing in a couple of really important use cases. So the first thing is that, you know, the data scientists themselves, you know, previously what they'd have to do is they'd have to say, okay, well, you know, I need to try to understand how I'm going to, you know, explore the different feature transformations, how they would pair up with models and, and how would they explore They'd write programs to do that, right? With the with the auto AI, right? What they're able to do is that first step of even understanding, okay, you know, what might be the best models? What, you know, how can I get started on this problem? You can actually start there. You can say, okay, bring the data set in. Tell me which models are working well, which what you know, uh, different feature transforms are working well, and then you can say, okay. This is either performing the way that I would want it to, or no, looks like the system is recommending to me that I need to address certain bias mitigation in my my data or these sorts of things. So what it means is that instead of starting with trying to write code to do all this exploration, for example, you know, and, and a lot of times it's different for each data set. They can start with just bringing it into the auto AI. So that, that's, that's a first uh, piece in terms of kind of a productivity and how it changes things. I'd like to give another example that I think is really important. So right now, a lot of times, you know, the data scientists, they may have to go to talk to someone who is, you know, a domain expert in supply chain or, well, in terms of, you know, IT operations or whatever the case may be. So they're, they're the expert. They, they may understand the data and what problem they're trying to solve. They wouldn't have the deep data science skills in many cases, right? And so they, they have to sort of communicate and go back and forth, them trying to explain the problem to the data scientists, the data scientists trying to understand the data and which models and how they would tackle the problem. With auto AI, what you can have is a common ground right off the bat. In other words, by making it such that you can just import a data set and see how it's able to do forecasting or, you know, whatever the t- classification or the task is, they have a common ground, right? So even someone who may not be as skilled, like you were referring to citizen data scientists, right? They may not have the same deep expertise, but they have good instincts and they have good insights on what they're looking for in the data and what the data might have, right? So they have now they have the ability to to test out and explore models themselves and see what signal they can find in the data and then secondly they have something in common with the data science that can say okay this is what i was trying to do this is the model this is how it's performing and they can kind of work on something together as opposed to something that's just abstract in terms of they're both trying to communicate their understanding of the problem so i think that's really exciting about how it can both scale and give productivity but hopefully bring people together And I think that process is really important if you're trying to get to business insights. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Now, I know one of the challenges a lot of organizations have is around, you know, the beginning of the pipeline where we're talking about data engineering, so to speak, labeling, analysis, uh, quality, those kinds of features. Uh, What are you thinking about in regards to that area? Yeah, so that's a really exciting area for us, right? So there's a couple of things, right? So so one is that 
You've probably heard of, you know, like data quality, for example, and data quality was primarily referring to kind of BI or business intelligence. So, you know, be able to look at a column of addresses and make sure that they're sanitized in terms of the addresses are always street address, you know, a zip code and so on. They're formulated in the same, or they're formatted appropriately and things like that. But it turns out that that's, that's stopping not even, you know, halfway to what the kind of readiness that you need for in order for model training to get high accuracy. So you need to look at class imbalance, right? So if you have too much of a certain class and not of another, uh, not enough of another class, it can skew your performance and degrade the performance of your ML model. So there are a lot of things that we can bring automation to looking into and uh, essentially tackling that data readiness or data quality to make it data quality, but specifically towards building better ML models. So that's one area. Another area that I'm also really excited about is that we are starting to find ways to automate the process of bringing domain knowledge into this, right? So one of the things that we see is that uh, the data scientists who do really well, they know that when they get a data set and a task, they don't stop there. They go say, okay, where can I find some more data? Maybe they go look out on the web. Maybe they look at like data.gov and these sorts of sites, Wikidata and so on. Or they go look at, you know, other notebooks, you know, Jupyter notebooks that people have, or they go read a document and they go to try to say, okay, well, you know, how do people calculate information about, you know, a loan or these sorts of things? How do people do that? So they go have to read documents and this is all this domain knowledge. So one of the things that we're doing is we're using some of that same AI technology that we've used previously for things like, you know, question answering, you know, Watson, Jeopardy, these sorts of things to try to look at the data and understand, okay, what are the key concepts here? What are the related concepts? Where might I find them in documents and notebooks and external data sources? And how can I use that to drive the AI automation towards pipelines that would that would leverage that, right? So I think there's just some really exciting areas where we're bringing automation to that whole data curation portion of the pipeline. Fabulous. I, I think there's so much great work that you guys are doing in this area. I'm also sure that you're struggling with some challenges and some opportunities with this approach. And I was wondering if you could maybe walk us through what some of the things are that you think you need to progress on in the research to take it to the next level and what some of the opportunities you're seeing in this approach are. Yeah. So I, you know, I think uh, my answer on the biggest challenge might, might actually surprise people, right? So uh, I think that one of the things that's the biggest challenge is, is balance, right? So we know that right now the state of the technology is not something where, and for quite some time, right, the state of the technology is not something where it's just an easy button where you say, okay, here's the data and it's going to figure out all of the quality issues and going to figure out what you wanted, what task you wanted to perform with the data. It's not, it's not going to be able to, to figure that out. Somebody has to ask the question. Somebody has to say, yeah, what you're doing is good and right. So that balance between what we automate and how we sort of empower the data scientist with that information so that they can bring their domain knowledge and make it the best coupling between what they know, what the human can bring to it and what the machine can bring to it is a really difficult uh, challenge, right? It's partly because the human, you know, they have to trust this and, and, and that's going to, so how do we figure out how to do that? How do we figure out how to drive the automation bring them the key results that's going to be able to say, yeah, I'm looking at this and I I understand what the system did enough and the system's telling me what it's done and I can look at it and, you know, this, this is good or no, you know, what I'm seeing here, 
I need to do some additional work. I need to go back and get more data or I need to try to address fairness or, or these sorts of things. So striking that balance between the human and the automation is, is, a, is a big and, and difficult challenge. Another thing is that we want to go beyond balance to something where we want we want not only for the system to produce these strong models to be able to continuously learn from the insights, refine them, and that sort of thing. We want, obviously, to produce better and better models because the system is learning both from how the model does in, in operations, but also you know inputs and insights that they're getting from the human. But we are also hoping that the way we're building these systems also helps the humans to gain more strength, right? So in other words, they look at a pipeline that the machine has generated and said, look, this is the top performing uh, pipeline for your task and your data. They look at that and they say, well, okay, actually, I, you know, I, I wouldn't have formulated this as reinforcement learning. I wouldn't formulate it as, you know, uh, you know, XGBoost or a deep net or that sort of thing. Let me go and, you know, let me look at how they're doing that and, and, and learn from it. So I think it's a, a balance both in terms of has the human work through what they want to, but also that building skill both in the human and, and the machine. So I think that's that's a really exciting part of, of what we're doing here. I think the concept of AI and automation and control over a process is definitely that balance that you've been speaking to and, and creating trust in that process takes time. I also believe that the first thing that you mentioned around the concept of needing to understand what you're doing. I know a lot of organizations I had spoken with had said that their initial AI efforts failed largely because they were just sort of exploratory things. They weren't really tied to a business use case and a specific outcome that they were trying to achieve. And I think now organizations are getting much more sophisticated about what they want that technology to do. So that all makes a lot of sense to me. So that's obviously one of the things business leaders should be thinking about is like come to the table with a specific problem. Are there other things that you think business leaders should know about this technology and be thinking about when they're talking to their technical staff? Yeah, I do. I think that it's really important for the business leaders to understand that the technology is not intended to just replace outright you know, data scientists and ML engineers, it's, it's really to empower and make them more productive. I think that's a, that's a a mistake that sometimes people are thinking with this. And I think it's made not only by business leaders and sometimes that, you know, even the data scientists themselves, but it's funny because once the data scientists get in and use it, then it's like, Oh, well, of course it just makes sense. And it is uh, enabling me to, to move faster. Right. So I think that that's uh, a really important uh, part of it. I think the other one is, and, and, you know, like I was saying earlier, it's, it's to help the data scientists and also that, you know, they can use it, use auto AI to try to bring AI to more parts of the company, right? That's something that's a, that's a big challenge. I think that if people with these sorts of tools, then, uh, you know, individuals who may not be the data scientists, they can start to get in there. They can start to understand that they can start to have conversations. I was talking about that a little bit earlier, but I think that, you know, thinking of it as a tool to try to bring AI to more of the company is an important part. And I would say that, the, you know, probably the final thing would be to start early, meaning that don't worry that it's not necessarily handling every single use case that one can envision. 
um, because it will be changing how people go about uh, data science, machine learning, AI. So getting in there early and starting to use these tools and understand them and thinking about how it changes their workflows, I think will be really important for being prepared and not kind of, like I said, just kind of waiting for the final perfect uh, version of it. It's, it's going to be an evolution, both for, the, uh, for the, the individuals working with the tools as well as the tools. That makes perfect sense to me. We've obviously covered a lot of ground in this topic at this point in time. And I know you were talking about a holistic approach to automation of AI. Is there anything that we skipped that you think the audience should know about? For me, at least, I see, you know, I guess it's the researcher in me, but I definitely see, you know, this really great path uh, for being able to bring more automation to more, you know, more data types, more tasks. So, you know, for example, we're looking at how do we bring automation, not just to use cases where it's supervised data, but how do we start to tackle use cases with unsupervised data? How do we go from just current techniques that are much more towards, you know, prediction, classification, these sorts of things, but how can we also expand our auto AI to take into into account things like decision optimization? How do we automate those pipelines as well? So, for me, it's just, you know, I think I could uh, I could easily keep <laughs> talking about even just the AI automation for, for quite some time because I, I feel like there's just such an exciting roadmap ahead of us. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think you've already started to touch on some of the future topics that excite you in the AI field, but is there anything else that we should be taking note of or what's next for Lisa and the team? Yeah, so I think one of the things that you'll start to see that I think is exciting for this that I didn't mention is that you know, on this unsupervised, one of the things that we'll start to do is you'll start to see us being able to better leverage data that is production data that with no labels or anything, right? So meta learning, you know, being able to learn how well a model is doing and predict when it might fail, and then use it on what we might see within production. It doesn't necessarily tell us wouldn't necessarily be able to know what's right or wrong in terms of production, but we would know when the model is likely to to fail. So it's, I think, like these creative ways of leveraging what we do have. So I think what I'm excited about is, you know, the fact that we're going to be able to leverage so much more data with, with you know, you know, kind of, uh, like I said, you know, enabling the data scientist and engineer to focus more on the actual problem that they want to solve and how they're going to bring it to the business and less on, you know, just all of the tedious tasks. So, yeah, so I think that's, that's what I'm most, I think people will see some real surprises there in terms of how we can tackle some of those problems. I'm very excited about the concept of us being able to abstract the technology out and focus on the business problem. I really think it's going to help organizations get to the next level. And I'm super excited to hear more about your research as it progresses. Thank you so much for spending time with us, talking to us a little bit about what's going on in the research front and how it's going to make our AI efforts superior moving forward. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks, Mary Bill. Always, always a pleasure. Thank you. 